What actually is biomimetic dentistry? I think in the last few years, it's become like a buzzword in clinical dentistry. Is it the same as adhesive dentistry? What is this decoupling time or decoupling with time? And how can we follow simple steps to improve our bond strengths? Because essentially, from my understanding of biomimetic dentistry, it is like extreme bonding, basically. It's extreme adhesive bonding and using a set of philosophies and guidelines following the literature to get the best bond strengths possible. Today, I've got on Dr. Taylor Patton, uh, and I love him because he's a young dentist. Like, he's super young, and I respect that a lot because he's got something to share. He's got a fantastic online resource all about his passion and his learning and his journey with biomimetic dentistry. And sometimes what happens in education is that the grand master, the king of any discipline within dentistry, they are so far removed from the plights and the struggles of that learner that sometimes they may not be the best person anymore to introduce someone to that topic. So I think Taylor, what he presents today, is a young Scottish dentist and just I love his energy and his knowledge you know how much I love geeky dentists and so therefore I've got him to talk about biomimetic dentistry answering my questions from the lens of a young dentist who's just very well read up and very keen in this field and that way he's also learning and therefore as us we are all learning together with him I think this episode is more impactful as an introduction to biomimetic dentistry than if I got on an established superstar that's already well known so Taylor keep up the good work my friend Hello, Patrusarati. I'm Jazz Galati, and welcome back to the Patrusa Dental Podcast. If you're listening to this, I love you. Thank you so much. If you're watching this, then you can see the hoodie that I'm wearing. Oh my goodness. Dr. Neki Jamal, the dentist who made the third Molars Online course, the course I always rave on about as the course to learn wisdom tooth surgery wherever you are in the world because it's online. It really helped me start tackling cases. He has this fantastic merchandise. This hoodie has got a photo of Drake wearing a mask and wearing loops. It just looks brilliant. So thank you, Neki, for sending it all the way from Canada. I absolutely love it. In fact, I'm lecturing tonight at local BDA Kingston branch. I'm talking about how to stop your composite veneers from chipping. And I'm going to be wearing this hoodie tonight. So I'm doing something quite brave. A borderline unprofessional, is it? I don't know. Maybe it's just a new new thing now and we can be a little bit... I don't know if it's unprofessional. I think my heart's in the right place here. But this is representing the future of education. So if you're listening and watching and you're wanting to learn more about wisdom tooth extractions and see videos of surgeries to guide you in your own practice, there's only one course in the world to check out. That's Neki Jamal's third molars online. It's on thirdmolarsonline.com. And if you use protrusive at checkout, you guessed it, you get a 15% off. So that's once again, that's thirdmolarsonline.com. Use protrusive for 15% off. And trust me, you will not regret it. It is a fantastic resource for anyone who wants to do third molars in practice. The protrusive dental pearl I have for you is how to block out a metal post. So imagine you take off an old crown and you find an ugly metal post inside and now you want to place your future crown and maybe you don't want to use PFM. Maybe you don't want to use porcelain fused to metal. Maybe you want to use a ceramic for whatever reason. And therefore, sometimes to mask that metal substructure can be very difficult. It can have shine through. It can look very ugly. So what you can do is you can use something like Ivoclar Direct Opaque. It's like this flowable resin, which is a masking agent. It's, it's there, it's extremely opaque. It's like Tipex for teeth. And essentially you put your air abrasion, adhesive, and you paint this on. Like for those of you watching, you paint it on the tooth, you cover the post with it, or you cover the metal with it. And it can also be used for really dark cavities. Like sometimes you remove an old amalgam and it leaves a really dark base. And if you go ahead and restore with your usual body shade composite, 
it will look really gray. It'll look really ugly. So if you put a base of opaque resin, it doesn't have to be Ivor Clark, it could be any brand. I know Cosmodent do a very popular one, pink opaque. Anything to opaque to block it out, whether that's the metal post or that's the base of a dark cavity, using an opaque like this can really bring your restoration to life or it can prevent that shine through. So top tip for today is to consider, it's, a, it's one of those things that it's good to have in your armamentarium, a, a syringe of a masking resin. This episode is sponsored by the Academy of Implant Excellence, and they have a flagship course by that man himself, Dr. Pav Kaira. Let's hear a few words from him. There's no secret to success. There's a system to success. And I've developed a three-step training program if you want to start your implant career or if you've already started and you want to accelerate it. Knowledge clarity, knowledge depth, and building muscle memory so it becomes second nature to you. I've taken all of my years of experience, everything that I've learned from my MCLIN DEN and all of the courses that I've attended and condensed it into the Academy of Implant Excellence course. If you want to know more, head to the website page and you can learn everything that, we're, that I'm going to be including in that course. I am so excited. It is gonna be absolutely phenomenal and I am ready to give you guys my knowledge. That was indeed Dr. Pav Kyra from the Dental Implant Podcast. Do check it out if you haven't already. And if that interests you, do check out his website, academyofimplantexcellence.com. That's academyofimplantexcellence.com. And of course, you can check it out in the show notes. That's all from me, and I'll catch you in the outro. Let's listen to Dr. Taylor Patton now. Taylor Payton, welcome to the Petrusa Dental Podcast. How are you, my friend? Oh, very good. Thanks, Jazz, and thanks so much for having me. It's saying that there it's very 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 surreal so i think you've been the soundtrack to my very long commute commute to vt this year so it's been yeah it's been i feel like i've been listening to you in my ear every car journey so it's crazy to crazy to be actually talking to you now so thanks very much for Absolutely, having me. an honor to have you on. You're a, a Petrusarati, as we connected on Instagram. That's uh, right. And then I remember, do you, do you remember when we first like were messaging on Instagram and I was really liking your page, the hybrid layer, and so I'll be sure to, to you know, put the, everything in the show notes for everyone to click on and, and find you. But then you had this like, um, and it's very normal, it's good to have this, you had like this little imposter syndrome. You said, ah, oh, but I'm only in like a DF1. So guys, Taylor is in Glasgow. He's at the end of his DF1, but I haven't seen such beautiful commitment from someone such a young dentist before. And I said, look, you need to come on the show. We need to talk about your journey. I also want to learn from you about biometric dentistry. And then you probably had some imposter syndrome. And did you have that firstly? Oh, definitely. Yeah. And I think you were. I was actually listening to that the other day. Actually, I think you were talking to that about one of your other one of your other guests the other day. And I think it's definitely I think it's I would agree with yourself though, and that it's a it's a good thing as well. Um definitely in terms of biometric dentistry, because it's definitely not the sort of thing that I know we're obviously doing this podcast, but not the sort of thing that you you listen to one podcast and you're you're suddenly an expert and know what you're doing. Even at my stage, I still feel there's well, there's so many parts of it. I'm using some of the basic principles and that sort of thing, but there's so much of it that I'm still not completely comfortable with, even though I've kind of made the website and that sort of thing. So I think it is good to have a bit of that. <laughs> Imposter well, I, I, I think the, re the main reason I wanted you on, like to tell yeah, you, I could have yeah. had someone who's got you know twenty five years experience. But why? What the, I think the beauty of now and again having different levels of experience. So you've yeah. only had like one year experience in clinical practice, but your from the website, from your Instagram page, your dedication, your <laughs> hunger is so evident. And I want to extract that and share that. And sometimes you know when you speak to someone who's really super experienced, they forget the struggles 
that they had earlier on. So you're very much in the midst of the struggles of a very young dentist. And I feel as though the audience, you know, some of the audience will be able to connect so well with you and you'll be able to break it down in a way that, you know, I might have forgot what it was like eight years ago to explain a certain concept. So I think I'm really excited to actually speak to you today about an area of dentistry which is very much like modal. Like in the last 10 years, biometric dentistry has become like a buzzword. It's also come under scrutiny by some experienced lecturers. They call it biopathetic dentistry. They, they, they say that, oh, it's just a, it's a fad name for just a, a brand of restorative dentistry. So let's just start with that, Taylor, okay? Before we then also you know, talk about your journey and how you got into it. But essentially, yeah. what is biometric dentistry? Yeah, so I would agree with you that in terms of the label biomimetic dentistry it is it's quite a quite a vague one and it can be quite it can be quite fluffy at times when you see it. So a lot of people if you if you kinda of start talking to them about it and they maybe haven't looked into it too much, the first thing you usually tend to hear is, Oh yeah, that's just the is that, that thing where you do like the, the tabletop prep with the big smooth surface and a an only that you're trying your best to stick on with your adhesive and I personally think it's quite a bit more than that and there's so many of these kind of biomimetic type dentists that there's so much to learn from them just in terms of the fundamentals and the basics of just general dentistry as well I would say so I would kind of asking about defining it I would say it's kind of it's obviously along the lines of adhesive dentistry but adhesive dentistry in itself I think you could see that as say we've got a big hard zirconia crown bonding that onto a tooth with a really heavy crown prep that could be adhesive dentistry I think biomimetic dentistry would then be beyond that also then just kind of respecting how the natural tooths build up and how the kind of natural tooth functions so it's made of enamel and dentine which are you know they've got very specific properties um, and I think it can be w- quite... Would you say biomimetic dentistry is, is a philosophy? I would say it would probably be just respecting that we're trying to build a tooth up the way that kind of nature intended. So the word, I suppose the word biomimetic would be to, to mimic life. So I think, I think especially early in your career like myself, I think it could be quite easy to, you're maybe looking at like so how to do crown preps and that sort of stuff. You're looking at materials, what materials should I use, whether it's Emacs or Conia. Quite easy to to think, oh, which material then is the hardest for this crown? So if you get a really hard zirconia, that's good. That thing's it's likely never going to break. But I think biomimetic dentistry as well is probably using materials that if there is some sort of failure, then you would probably rather that you're restoration were to fail rather than the likes of a, a really hard non-biomimetic restoration that yes the patient might come in and they're you're a hero because their their crown's completely intact and there's no chips or anything on it but the rest of their tooth's fractured off at the gingival level are you enjoying the protrusive dental podcast well allow me to deliver you even more value you can now download the ios or play store app for free. Just search Protrusive on your app platform. Now, if you're a true Protrusive and you want to support the podcast, you want to claim CPD for all the listening and watching that you do, you want to get access to exclusive clinical walkthrough videos to make dentistry tangible, as well as a premium newsletter, access to the Protrusive Vault, and the ability to download all the clinical videos and podcast videos so you can view them offline later, you can get all of that for less than 15 tax-deductible dollars per month. 
So what are you waiting for? Download the Protrusive app now on iOS or Android for absolutely nothing. We work so hard on this, the Protrusive team, and I know you're just going to love it. Now back to the main episode. And it's extracted and, you know, implant, that sort of thing. Whereas biomimetic dentistry, I would think it would be accepting that you're you're not necessarily wanting to just go for the the hardest materials you're wanting to try and actually first kind of understand the way the tooth works and function. I was listening to someone talk recently, actually, and they were kind of comparing it. I think it was, have you heard, Graham Milicic, have you heard? No, but please tell me. So he, I think he does a lot of research about the kind of compression dome concept of enamel. So that's basically where the enamel basically works so the compressive forces on the tooth, um, it's kind of redirecting those vertical forces in the kind of cervical area of the tooth, and it's kind of distributing those to the dentine. And he's kind of saying, and a lot of biomimetic dentists are kind of saying that by doing these kind of aggressive, heavy crown preps that we're used to doing and taking away that kind of cervical area of the tooth, you basically don't want to do that because it's the it's the strongest part of the tooth and it's the area that's receiving all that tension under function. So by by taking that away, you're you're not really doing the tooth any favours. And that little area, the cervical kind of two to three millimetres, you, if you go on and read about biomimetic dentistry, you hear a lot of people calling that the biorim. So you hear a lot about kind of preserving that biorim and with doing that, you're then taking a more kind of minimally invasive to an extent, but not going too far with that either. So if there's like a, a really mm. thin cusp or that type of thing, you're, it's not like an extreme minimally invasive or you're relying on, you know, ridiculous bone strengths and that sort of stuff. I think it's more of a, an approach where you really are just, you're removing your caries, removing cracks, trying to preserve the vitality of the pulp. I think the word approach is a good one, though, Taylor, because you know, from yeah. my perception, from what I've seen, from what I was you know, speaking, and also I yeah. actually did have uh, David Allman on, on the podcast, but we had such massive connection issues that never actually got oh, okay, uh, okay. posted. Yeah. But but yeah, you know, from what I've seen and, and from speaking to lots of my colleagues who are, you know, Herman is very active on social media. I'll have to put his, uh, Herman Tequila is his Instagram handle. So I speak to a lot about him, with him, about biomechanistry, yeah. what I like and what I'm open to it and why I don't think it is a, a fad as some colleagues will say it is, is because it's a, it's an approach, it's a set of protocols, and no yeah, one else yeah. is talking about cariology, but biometric dentists are. No one else is is talking about how to maximize bond strength. And actually, those three words is how Dr. David Allman described it when he had his brief little statement on podcast. He said biometric dentistry is really maximizing bond strength. So it's is it adhesive dentistry, but what what can you do to the tooth with your restorations? to get the best outcome uh, through the best adhesion possible. And also it's a way of preserving the longevity of teeth. So all these philosophies and the protocols that Biometrics has in place all lends itself to a favorable restorative outcome. So for me, I, I, I see it as a philosophy in a branch of restorative dentistry best practices yeah. is, 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 is another way to think about it. Uh, how did you get drawn to this? Because most people qualified you know, one year maybe haven't even heard of biometric dentistry. Are you, are you finding that you're having to explain a lot to someone who you met who's like maybe at, at, your, at your level in terms of one year qualified or a dentist student and, and you're having to explain every time what biometric dentistry is? Yeah, so I think, I think how I kind of fell into it was so I had I graduated so it was 2020 from so it was Glasgow I graduated from 
so we were we were the year that kind of stopped a bit earlier because of COVID as well. So so we had that really abrupt stop. It was about March time where we were in the clinic one day, the next day, that's it, you're done. So <laughs> there was a, a few weeks or maybe a couple of months of waiting about to see, oh, do we, do we still need to do this last Ofsky exam, that sort of stuff. And then after that, it just kind of fizzled out. That was it. So at that point, lockdown was happening. I had a lot of time on my hands at that point <laughs> as well. There was the, the big influx of all the webinars every day that like you couldn't you couldn't keep up with so many webinars and stuff there was one every morning afternoon night you were you were kind of spoiled for choice really and I think at that point I was kind of then realizing like wait a minute here there's there's just so much that I don't I don't know from dental school really and I think we'll come on to that a wee bit as well but um, I, I still feel like that every time my friend don't worry it's very normal yeah, to feel that way yeah. and it's good to it's good to recognize it it's, it's the most important thing is to recognize that well yeah, there's so right, much yeah. that you don't know that you haven't exposed mm-hmm. to uh, and then the more you learn about things then the more you realize that actually I thought I knew crown lengthening but then when you start learning about crown lengthening when you do your first crown lengthening case and then you're like holy crap I need to learn more about crown lengthening so it's never ending yeah, my yeah. friend <laughs> embrace it embrace it yeah yeah so I think the Started off with all the webinars, that sort of stuff. I think at a similar point, I probably found your your podcast as well, and and that's it's genuinely been so helpful for like this stage in my career as well. I don't know how much feedback you get from people at my stage and stuff, but it's genuinely completely changed my outlook on everything. And I'm I'm not just saying that because you're there. Much as well, appreciated. You can stay. You can so we'll keep we'll keep this interview running. Very good. <laughs> no, thank you so much. It, 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 it's it's um, nice to get feedback. It keep, it keeps me going. You know sometimes where uh, yeah. like today I'm I'm behind on my episode and I've got so much to do behind the scenes and uh, you may yeah, not yeah. have not seen actually and I'll take for everyone's benefit. You might have you might have not seen this, but on YouTube now the last couple of episodes, not only is the interview on the on the right side, but there's notes now coming up on the left side. So that's double Right, our okay. production time but so you know let me know you know what you think of that and guys if you're if you're listening watching this let me know should we continue working OT uh, and maybe delaying the episodes a little bit to have the notes on the left uh, uh, as we're speaking or is this a function that you really don't need so yeah some, something to get some feedback for so feedback always welcome thank you sounds good no yeah so I'm I'm one of the the audio listeners so I've I then kind of started listening to your podcast I had quite a long commute this year like I was saying it was about an hour an hour there an hour back so I've listened to all the podcasts. From that, I was I was then just reading a lot more and following a lot of other dentists. And I think from that, it was kind of on Instagram that I then fell into the, the little group. Of, There's a huge like, community on, on Instagram of, of biomedical dentists sharing lovely things, great lessons, very educational posts, which need to be respected. You know, whether you yeah, agree yeah. with biometric approaches or not, I think there's a beauty in, in, in sharing and, and presenting information on Instagram that is disseminating information and research. So I think we have to re- respect that. Yeah. And at the start, it was... I found there was so much information on these pages and it was all, it wasn't just a case of, I think it's quite easy to, you know, you think, oh, you're reading that stuff on Instagram, like that can't be the way of doing it. But it's all like, it's all linked back to research articles and, you know, reviews and that sort of stuff. So you can go away yourself and start reading through all those papers and kind of, a lot of the time, I would then also form my own opinions as well. There'd be some things that people would post about and I would think, Oh, I'm not not too sure about that, but I think the the more you kind of read about it at the start, it's quite overwhelming. I was reading it at the start thinking I have no clue what any of them are talking about, and I think maybe after about five six months or so of just 
continuing to read and I then kind of then went to there was a kind of online conference it was quite big around about Christmas time it was a karma dentistry biomimetic conference I don't know if you've heard of that that's been on a couple of years now so that had about it must have been about 15 or 16 speakers and learned so much from that it kind of got to the point I just just quickly who's your favorite speaker in biomimetic dentistry oh favorite speakers I think if you had to pick one uh, I always enjoy listening to the the duo duo of David and Davy Alleman. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they're very 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 entertaining. It was actually just in March this year I actually got to meet them at a it was at a hands on course that was of course yeah, Tarek Bashir probably organised that right. Bashir, yeah, that's yeah, the, that's right. The famous club, so. Scottish dentist. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so oh, Tarek's well, Tarek's great. So I think he's done the he's done the mastership program with David and Davy. So he obviously knows his stuff and I think if someone like that's you know following protocols like this then you know he he's sensible and you can tell he just really knows what he's talking about and and I think like you were saying as well it's I don't think it does even if you don't agree with all of it it doesn't do any harm to have some of these concepts and approaches like in your toolkit really as well so mm-hmm. I know that like so yourself you're you talk a wee bit about like the vertipreps and that sort of thing and that wouldn't be then saying that you don't do things like that it's just another you know approach to how you can do things so it's I'm very much against like dogmatic yeah. approaches. So if everyone's like mm. two on one side, I think there are cases where I don't think you can solve it. I, and, I, and I mean this, you know, with humility, I don't think you can solve every some case with just one approach. So I can no. show you some where cases where like you can't stick anything on this. You need to do crown thing, you need to do vertical preparations. You may need to use zirconia in certain cases to be able to fix it, okay, on this 75-year-old man, for example. Whereas other cases, biometric dentistry all the way. I mean, all, all the onlays that I do, I very much try and follow all the, that I've consumed so far when it comes to maximizing uh, adhesive strength. So I think there's a beauty in, in, in learning from all the philosophies. Yeah, I would completely agree with that as well. and. Yeah, I think I think some sometimes people are quite quick when you're talking about the biomimetic type things to think that oh that's that's all that you then then do. I know in my case just now anyway, it, if anyone's listening, it, it certainly isn't. I sometimes feel like I'm I'm going to work and I'm I'm kind of doing a completely different thing. So I'm I practice I'm at just now. It's like kind of heavily NHS type practice. So I'm. I'm, to be fair, I'm spending most of my time going in and doing extractions, dentures, that sort of stuff. When I get the chance with composites, whether that be in a wee anterior composite or a posterior composite or the odd chance to get a little chance to do an only or that type of thing, I can then go into some of these concepts and, and use these things. But I would only do that if I'm absolutely sure that I definitely know what I'm doing because you do hear a lot with the very experienced biomimetic dentists as well who are really keen on it that they would rather have a traditional dentistry done very well to them than someone who's maybe on the fence about the biomimetic dentistry and doesn't maybe completely mm-hmm. know what they're doing so I would think if, if maybe anyone's listening and think they want to jump straight into it I would I would really really just read up a lot about it I think your best bet is probably to find a, a mentor as well which 
Well, tell us, because you, you've been through this journey. Yeah, you yeah. found Tarek, obviously, in Glasgow. You went to the course when uh, when David yeah, and David yeah. came along. So uh, if you're speaking, if you've got your microphone to young dentists all over the world uh, and they wanted to take the next step to learning about biometric dentistry, maybe one or two of the, the key lessons, do they have to fly to the States? Do they have to buy a book? What's the good first step? So I would say, if, I'm a, if I can be cheeky and plug the website for a second as well. Do it, so because I, I loved it. <laughs> yeah. So I, I've started up the little website and the website is in, it's called thehybridlayer.com. Also on Instagram as well, at the hybrid layer where I share cases and that sort of thing. And the website, the main kind of goal of that was I got to the stage where maybe after about a year or so of reading things, I felt like I would then see, you know, people asking things and that sort of thing. And I would get to the point where I thought, yeah, I can start and I know the answers to some of these questions. I can see that people are pretty confused as I was at the start. And the kind of goal of the website was basically just to get some of that basic info down so that it can maybe even give people the chance to have a read at it. It saves you scrolling through, you know, thousands of Instagram posts that aren't in any order trying to figure out what's happening. And that can give you just a little kind of basic insight into what it is, you know, the rough concepts, not necessarily read the website and then that's you a, a biometric dentist, but it can give you an insight into saying, is this the sort of thing you may be interested in? And if you are, there's, you know, I, I know I had the, the two-day hands-on course with David and David Alleman. I would say even that sort of thing, I knew quite a bit. I don't even know if the two days would be enough to then start doing it, but I know they also offer the kind of online mentorship programs as well. So I know there's the Alleman Centre for Biomimetic Dentistry and some of the people they've trained have also got similar kind of centres throughout the world as well. So a lot of it's kind of looks like it's been done online, which mm-hmm. I think is makes sense as well. So I would definitely recommend if you if you are going to be kind of serious about it and you know trying to use it on a day to day basis, definitely try and find someone who knows what. Well, so much about. of our dentistry nowadays yeah. uh, adhesive dentistry. So if anything we can do to improve our uh, adhesive dentistry. So what I'm going to do actually, uh, Taylor, is I'm going to ask you yeah, the yeah. last question uh, straight up, uh, and then we'll go uh, yeah, to, to yeah. some of the other ones. Because uh, on this note, um, from what you've learned so far in your journey so far with biomet dentistry and a year at dental school, and because because some of the knowledge that you have from dental school is is more fresh, you remember some more uh, of the dental school learnings than, than I do certainly. So I like that you have that recent background plus all the courses that you've done in biometric dentistry and how uh, passionate you are about it give us your top tips on improving bond strength so this could be with either comms direct composite resin or bonding onlays what are the key lessons that you can pass on in just a few moments yeah so i would say i would say one of the main concepts that that i didn't come across at all maybe it was just maybe i missed it but at dental school um, was the fact that when you are forming that initial bond to the tooth. So so if we imagine you've got your, you know, your caries-free tooth, or if you're using the partial caries removal, you've got your peripheral seal and everything, everyone will come on to that with the, the caries die and everything. Um, but if you've got your, your tooth that you're happy to then say bond a direct composite onto, so a, an MO that you've prepared and you're, you're happy with, when you do etch your dentine, prime the dentine, and use your, that first layer of adhesive, I didn't realize that that adhesive, it takes time to mature, basically. So it takes time for that bond to form. And I'm not sure if that's something that I just missed, but I feel like it's a 
it's a really quite important point because... Is, is that the decoupling time? Yeah, that's right. So it's basically the concept where... So obviously there's a different types of bonding system. So the total etch, self-etch, that type of thing is obviously important, first of all, to understand what you're using. But if we assume you know what you're doing, you've etched appropriately, primed appropriately, and you've got your first layer of adhesive on there... Once you've now, got that what first, if you're using something yeah. like a, a universal, so you've etched the enamel and now using a, a self-adhesive universal and then that's got the prime and bond mixed into it, do you use, yeah. can it still apply? Can you still apply this philosophy of decoupling time or does it lend itself more to a separate primer and separate adhesive stage? So I would say just based on whatever, I think if you're using a, using a universal bonding system, which I'd imagine a lot of people will be using, you're naturally maybe not going to quite reach the, the absolute best bond strengths that you possibly can, but... I would say that. I think we. I. I think everyone who uses yeah, universal yeah. bonding agents. I think. I think we know that. I think. I think we know that. Yeah. You know, from 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 the papers in the past. Anyway, the OptiBond FL was was so high, and then everything else is always a bit lower. Uh, I don't know yeah, which yeah. is the the the, the king of uh, uh, adhesives now. Maybe you could fill me in in terms of what you've read. But yeah, certainly I think when we use universal, we know that for convenience, we accept yeah, a little yeah. bit of a compromise. But we're hoping that it's not a massive compromise and still good enough to get a long lasting restoration. But I think let's let's go with that fourth generation or fifth generation. So we're gonna do etch, rinse, and make it really tangible now. So we're gonna prime, and then sometimes you need a couple of coats of primer. I, you know, that's why I was taught. So yeah, you pl yeah. please tell me if, yep, good. Get a nice shiny surface, get that dry, and then you're gonna be using your adhesive. And then is that when you're waiting time? But you know, just tell us more about how this decoupling works. Yeah, so as soon as the, as soon as the adhesive goes on and you've cured it, you're basically at that point, the hybrid layer is starting to mature. So the hybrid layer obviously being that kind of interface between the hydroxyapatite, a little bit of the collagen and your resin monomer particles. But that bond, once you've cured that, that's when the clock kind of starts. So you tend to think that a lot of the studies that they've done, if you were to just inject a big bit of composite right on top of that, and kind of bulk fill type technique, all of the shrinkage of the composite, if you do it straight away, the bond hasn't fully formed at that point. So you tend to find all of that shrinkage and the flow of the composite is basically shrinking towards like the kind of greatest center of mass of the composite. And by doing that, because you've got that shrinkage, it basically then just pulls the adhesive layer off the tooth or weakens that bond as well. So the concept is basically that after about a minute, you'll have about 70% roughly of your total bond strength, whatever that total bond strength happens to be. And after about five minutes, you'll roughly have about 80-90%. So that's kind of what you're aiming to give it just a little bit of time, but it's not a case of, I think when I first heard that, I thought, okay, so it's a case of you do your H prime bond and then you're just kind of sitting there waiting, not doing anything. But there are things that you can do in that five minutes as well. So the thing that they would usually usually suggest in a lot of the, the kind of lessons and stuff would be to put just a little layer of what they call resin coating. So that would be basically your little kind of 0.5 millimeters probably of some flowable composite. And because it's such a low volume, you basically find that that flow of the composite, it goes towards that hybrid layer so it's kind of maintaining that bond strength. It's not pulling it away. And that clock at that point is still ticking. So that's increasing your bond strength there. You then tend to find as well that the rule is that from what they've read, that if you go more than about two millimeters in your first increment in that five minutes, 
you're at chance of losing about 50% of the bond strength in a lot of the studies. So they recommend basically the simple rule of not getting any deeper than 1.5 millimeters within the first five minutes. And at that point as well, you could easily be doing that first 1.5 millimeters. You could be building up your little proximal wall as well, which isn't then connected to that composite that's forming the hybrid layer. So it's not like you're sitting there doing nothing. I think that's a simple kind of mm -hmm. thing to understand and something that you, you could easily kind of incorporate. And if you just kind of understand that that bond takes time to develop, I feel like it really, it really changes the way you look at things a lot of the time when you're doing composites and that sort of thing. And I think- L Listen, yeah, Taylor, I'm just gonna yeah. just go have a coffee for like uh, like five minutes and then that's still decoupling and, and I can I can uh, justify that's, that to my patient. Yeah. That, so that's the other way to do it. But no, I, I prefer your <laughs> way. You made it really yeah. tangible there to to add a little bit of flowable. That's great. And then you, you could be, could you be curing that flowable uh, and that's still, the clock is still ticking? Yeah, that's right. So you would you would cure your, cure your flowable and as long as, so the shrinkage of the, the kind of polymerization shrinkage is tends to be to do with like the volume of the volume of the layer eh, and also the kind of modulus of elasticity as well. So because it's such a, a low volume, you tend to find it's it doesn't have that strength to kind of pull away from the mm -hmm. first layer anyway. So that's why. So, you're so you could be that. curing that flowable. You could doing the the contact area, but on yeah, the matrix, yeah. and then like you said, so you're not connecting it to the the yeah. body of the composite elsewhere, obviously. And then you can be just getting that. So yeah, I, I think we'll fill in five minutes, and I would like to encourage everyone to practice taking quadrant photography photos. So uh, get your buckle mirror, make sure it's nice and warm, or if you're using rubber dam, it's not an issue because it's not gonna warm up, uh, it's not gonna steam up, uh, and then you can start taking some photos and improve your photography. You know, that's easily a minute that you can do there. So I, I would uh, encourage point, yeah. everyone to do that. So that's a, a, a top tip. So great, so you mentioned about the decoupling time. Uh, give us one more top tip, because this is such a big, huge topic. If anyone gains something from this episode, I want to remember, okay, I've improved my bond strength in some way. So give us one more tip. Um, so I think another another one of the big main biomimetic concepts, which I, I think you'll have heard of yourself as well from, I know you're a Pascal Manu fan, aren't you, Jazz? Of course, who isn't? Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. so the kind of immediate dentine sealing concept. So that's basically the, the concept where you're, you've got your freshly cut dentine. And if we say, for example, this time we're going for, a, for an indirect only type of restoration, I know from when I was at dental school, I would have thought, just do the preparation. Well, first of all, I probably wouldn't have thought to do an only, it would be a, a crown I was probably thinking of, but if I had thought only at dental school, it would probably be do the preparation, taking the impression, that sort of stuff. And then at the time, just cementing it with your etch bond, resin cement, that sort of stuff. The concept of the immediate dentine ceiling was basically with your freshly cut dentine when you've finished your prep, you're then just as we were saying, whichever system you're using, the H prime bond, your layer of, obviously your layer of adhesive. And then again, possibly that little resin coating over the top as well. And by doing that, I don't know if you've read some of the papers by Pascal Manier as well. He basically has found that by doing the immediate dentine sealing, provisionalizing that and then cementing it the next visit, because you've been allowing, similar to what we were saying in that first point, because you've given it, say potentially if you're sending your lab work away and it's coming back in 10 days, two weeks, that's potentially two weeks of decoupling with time that you're doing. So <laughs> he's finding you're getting, you know, four times and times the, the bone strengths with using that kind of method. 
things like that though there's there are still some areas that can kind of trip you up as well so that's what i'm gonna say to be careful that you can't just start thinking right okay i'll start doing this tomorrow so things like the so because it's such a thin layer that you're using there you've got the little oxygen inhibited layer as well so if you have this little thin layer of resin coating there's potentially say i'm not sure exactly but maybe 20 30 microns at the top of that that just isn't polymerized so that can also react a bit with the impression material so they would usually recommend a little bit of the kind of glycerine with the with the temporary material like bisacryl yeah so that and also the actual if you were using a a kind of impression material to actually take okay, an impression it. It, it can mm-hmm. interfere with that as well i think it's more the kind of polyether type materials that got can it. interact with it so you basically want to make sure that you are curing through a little layer of glycerine similar to when you're doing a composite and you clear, cure that last layer through the, the vaseline or that type of thing mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. so definitely do that and then also just making sure i think some people do the immediate dentine sealing and maybe think you can just use your etch bond h prime and a little layer of the adhesive but you tend to find at times that layer of adhesive you have to know the thickness of it as well because you know if it's if it's about as thick as the level of the oxygen inhibited layer could potentially be you could potentially just have pretty much nothing there so that little layer of the resin coating over the top it provides I think the concept is it kind of provides more of the the free radicals for it to all polymerize and just make sure you have that that good thickness and that's i think it's definitely something to to go away and read about and see if it's something you can maybe incorporate in your practice as well i, I encourage everyone to, to read about immediate and ids immediate dental sealing but as a practical dentist i think there are some other advantages i.e if the temporary comes away then there's less sensitivity Okay, that, that, that's a, a real good advantage there. Uh, the other one is at the same time as doing my immediate dentine sealing, I'm blocking out any undercuts with my genial uh, flow, whatever. So, uh, you know, if you just do it for those two reasons alone, and then now, you know, if you get some added improved bond strengths, which we think we will, then it's a great thing to do. I think it's, it's very, you know, some dentists, young dentists might get scared away from it because it sounds very complex. It really yeah, isn't. Yeah. You know, it's just your standard adhesive procedure, bit of a flowable resin coating on top. Uh, and then when you come to fit it, yeah, the whole air abrasion. I would suggest everyone checks out the episode I did with David Jadole. With the episode we with David Jadole, extreme bonding. David is a, is a very well-known uh, biomatic dentist as well. Uh, and he is he talked all about the main things we can do to improve our bond strengths. And, and yes, one was uh, talking about how we can use those concepts. So that's great. We've covered two top tips there for improving your bond strength. Number one. One was decoupling time, and number two was uh, immediate dentine sealing. Let's switch gears to caries detector dye because the biometric community is the community uh, online that I see using as part of their protocol caries detection dye the most. And then so uh, Herman influenced me to start using it, and I love it. I, I think it's great. I love that objectivity that it gives. So if no, no one's ever used caries detector dye before, can you just explain the steps in using it? And then B, how do you interpret that information, that tooth you're looking at now that's you know, pink or green, depending on which one you got. I got the pink one. And then based on what you see, how do you act upon it? So it's so three levels of questions. Okay, so why should we use it? What? How do you interpret it? And then how do you act on it? Yeah, so I would say... Like you're saying, the caries detector dye, it's, it's probably another one of those ones that is seen as a bit controversial, maybe with people that 
don't know exactly the methods you could consider you know using it in so it's it's definitely not just a case of you're using this dye and it's helping you see you know all the occlusal caries and you're just drilling away all the red stuff <laughs> i would say if you i would probably break it down a bit back to how you're actually wanting to deal with your caries removal biomimetically possibly so i would personally i, I think that kind of partial caries removal concepts make sense to me and the main things that i would usually associate that with would be forming that peripheral seal zone and getting your caries removal endpoints so if i was able just to say what both of those are it's the peripheral seal zone would be basically which is exactly what we we're taught at dental school, you know, get the, the get the ADJ super clean, and it's just an extension of, of that, and the and the you know really linking it back to your bond strengths, because yep. but, you know we said they teach me at dental school that oh because th that's where your seals are most important, but that's where also we want to maximise our bond strengths as well, so it makes sense. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And then your caries removal endpoints, similar to similar to the concepts you would learn at dental school as well, but maybe just making it a little bit more tangible would be mm. once you're approaching the pulp basically and it's something that you're probably doing at dental school and without really realizing it but you're getting towards the pulp you're starting to get a bit cautious should I keep taking away anymore so the caries removal endpoint concept was basically it was giving you like a tangible set of numbers to follow it changes a little bit depending on you know tooth to tooth and the age of the patient and stuff but it was generally looking usually about five millimeters vertically so that would be from if you were coming occlusally removing caries once you get five millimeters deep roughly you would consider even if there is still caries you would be stopping there and horizontally coming from the marginal ridge of the adjacent tooth so that's kind of your little three millimeter peripheral seal zone you're basically then stopping there to avoid pulpal exposure so you've got your your clean peripheral seal zone and then you're possibly a little bit of affected dentine that type of thing with a little bit of caries left behind that you're willing to accept the slightly lower bone strengths and instead of basically exposing the pulp and i think mm. it's at that point that the caries detector die i feel could be really useful so to use the caries detector die so oh, if i talk a bit about what it is first so the, the benefits yes. of it i would see it's basically like i think you mentioned as well there jazz it's kind of giving you an an objective way of looking at caries removal rather than being subjective and and that subjectivity has been studied and every dentist is yeah. different in terms of where they stop so i was attracted to it because you always question, should I remove some more? Should I not? And it surprised me enough for a couple of times, you know, I use it many times and I was like, okay, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. And then I got surprised. I was like, whoa, had I not used yeah. this, I would have missed it. And I like what her man said on a Facebook post recently. Like, yes, there are those people who argue that, yeah, well, you know, I just use my probe and I can, I can feel it with my probe. But are you going to really be able to probe every square millimeter yeah, of your cavity? Yeah. Probably not. And that's got me thinking is that, yes, he's right. That's right. And then another thing with the probe as well that I've heard David Alleman as well talk about quite a lot in a lot of his lectures. Uh, he talks about, he was a Japanese, it was from a kind of Japanese researcher that came up with it all. And I think he would be at his dental school clinic and talking to the students and a lot of the time they would be removing caries and he would tell them, you know, just keep removing it until it's hard with your probe. And they would then ask him, well, how hard? And that's a good question as well, because like, how, how hard is how hard is hard? So I think caries detector diet is a good way of basically the way it works. Not sure if they know exactly how it works, but it stains 
denatured collagen so it's basically a solvent type solution it's got some acid red the the carious dentine so the likes of the affected and infected dentine the collagen fibers are a bit looser and they're denatured so it's able to penetrate a bit more and by doing that it then stains the kind of red or pink type color so i mean uh, the studies that that you read about it they're all pretty i feel like they seem all pretty conclusive to be honest that it does seem to work and as long as you're kind of accepting there maybe are some limitations to it as well and that that really deep dentine that you get really close to the pulp could potentially stain a little bit red but at that point you've stopped your carriage removal because of the endpoints anyway so it doesn't really mm-hmm. matter at that point and I find from using it a lot of the time if I think I've taken away the carriage from that peripheral seal zone I'll, I'll put the carriage detector dye on and a lot of the time like you're saying you do get a bit of a surprise at times and even if there's little patches that you think you kind of look at and feel what the probe and think oh yeah fair enough I've, I've left that bit there so mm-hmm. um, and it is good then that you've got you can see the the area over the pulp that you're kind of leaving as well and you know roughly depending on I think you can kind of tell a little bit the the redness in terms of how red it is or how pink it is roughly mm-hmm. what you've got to work with in terms of your bone strengths and that type of thing as well guys so. uh, everyone listening or those watching there's an episode coming up with Harman actually we're going to talk all about you know whole 45 minutes all on on caries ecti but what, what you've done is given us a nice introduction you got dentist thinking now maybe about it so we whet your appetite for the one with Harman coming soon I was actually going to record with him straight after you but we've had to reschedule that but we will cover that in yeah. good depth so brilliant we've covered some biometric principles we defined biometric dentistry we talk about caries detected I just now you gave your top tips for improving bond strengths so as an introduction as a final introduction as a final part of this podcast I see a lot about crack management and now this crack managing cracks is very polarized like a lot of things in dentistry I guess and many schools of thoughts will manage cracks in a different way so I've been taught before chase cracks I've been taught before never chase cracks and what I do hand on heart will vary in every single case. You know, it's different to me. If it's a nasty crack, I might chase it, but if it's not so mad, I won't chase it so much. So can you introduce us to the biometric philosophy or thinking or protocols when it comes to crack? And I imagine this, I don't know, crack removal endpoints? What names have you got for that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I feel like the the crack element of it, I think that's one of the parts of it that's probably especially tough for me without having the, the years of experience at times, because I am kind of going purely just based on like theoretical listening to what other people have to say and just kind of and that's thinking. that's fine you know share because yeah, you know, yeah. this is new for me the biometric approach is yeah. absolutely cool so just share what you've picked up so far and maybe in five years we'll record again and see if you're thinking has changed anyway but share share what you've learned so far yeah so what i've kind of learned so far would be i've learned from from david and davy allen and they had quite a good way of assessing so cracks were kind of forming a part of they were quite good at teaching us ways of kind of assessing a tooth for structural compromise. So there were basically four red flags that they told us to watch out for. So the first one was obviously cracks into dentine. The second one was any kind of restoration, say an amalgam that's got an isthmus width of greater than two millimetres. The reason Which for is most amalgams. Was, yeah, that's right. I know most of them, yeah. And the reason for that was basically 
I think more studies by Pascal Magny and several other people that basically show that when you do have an amalgam like that and it's got say an MOD cavity that's more than two millimeters instead of the usual the tooth can flex about two or three microns with even an amalgam in there it's flexing about 180 microns which is you know a really big difference so that's one of the reasons why these big amalgam teeth you know do tend to crack as well um, the third third one was um, any cusps that are less than three millimeters in width which quite common as well and the fourth one was let's like make that a, one really tangible where do you measure yeah. that three millimeters from do you measure it at the top of the cusp or the base where the cusp then joins on to the the, the floor yeah so I, i've seen some different answers for that one as well i would tend to have mostly seen from from the bottom of the the cusp and you can use the like in a calipers that's the way i've tended to yep. do it and i think that that kind of makes the most sense because that's shown you how much connection that cusp actually yeah. has that kind of it's the base the main strength of that cusp comes from what's below it so absolutely that's fine yeah, i just yeah. thought i'd mention that so that you know people listening yeah, no. can think where do you know how do you begin to measure it so that's fine please yeah, tell us yeah. more that's good and then the, the fourth last one there was any kind of box dead so an interproximal box that was less um, more than four millimeters so that's another another reason that a tooth will be structurally compromised because like we were saying at the start, you're then into that kind of biorim area as well. So then if you go back to the, the first one, which was the cracks into dentine, if I even just talk a little bit about, you know, it was Davy Alleman at the course, it was kind of a, a little talk about cracks and that type of thing. And his concept was basically, he's, I think he's spent a lot of time and obviously David Alleman a lot of time, they've spent a lot kind of looking into the engineering aspect of it and seeing how engineers deal with cracks and other industries and things like that as well and they've kind of come to the conclusion that if you are to just leave a crack as it is then it has the chance that can always propagate no matter what you do if you're putting force on that tooth that crack can continue to propagate it might take a while so their concept is that similar to the the caries removal endpoints you've called it crack removal endpoints so <laughs> basically that inside that peripheral seal zone the likes of Davy Alleman he would tend to try and chase that crack as much as he can basically being wanting to try and avoid any pulp exposure or perforation or anything like that but he'll feel that if you can either remove that crack or at least remove a bit of it then you're kind of reducing the length of the crack and by reducing the length of the crack, you're kind of reducing the lever arm of it. By doing that, it then needs a lot more force for then for that crack to then propagate. So he kind of sees that as the best way of doing it. It mm -hmm. tends to be the only thing that, that I see with it as well that's kind of challenges it is that you've then got these areas that you've cracked really high like C factor situations to try and then restore back. And you're kind of thinking, I wonder if that's, <laughs> is that any better what you've kind of made there? But mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm kind of of the mind that, you know, I, I've personally not really decided. I'm probably like yourself. I'm still. still... I, I still don't know. Look, I, I've, been, I've, been, I've been in nine years. I still don't know what is the best way. And I think it will vary in every single scenario. I just hate cracks, man. I had, I, I think episode 27 was <laughs> yeah. my title. I just hate, hate cracks with a passion. Yeah. No one likes cracks. And uh, there's so many different opinions. When one, I mean, one of my friends, colleagues, uh, Pascali Venuti, which I know he's like the, the anti biometric dentist. And that's, that's cool. It's okay. Yeah. Uh, and he's, he's very much like, don't chase cracks. Because if you're chasing cracks, 
mistakes. You never know where that end point really is. You can't yeah. see the end point. But you you mentioned briefly in case anyone missed it, is that actually if you removing you know some of the crack and you know, you're improving the mechanics of the situation so at least we 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 have the, the you know the four themes that you touched on when it comes to crack considerations so if you have a crack and it fulfills all the other four factors so and you think the crack is interdentine and it's got you know a, a isthmus larger than two millimeters and more than four millimeters was it was the four millimeters in terms of the depth of the restoration yeah so the just the depth in general of the, of the restoration um sure. so I'd imagine just from the marginal ridge to the yep. to the deepest point, then you're into the like kind of bio rim at that point. Yep. So they tend to say then if you are kind of beyond that, trying to bond, you know, a tough bit of ceramic into that really deep box, it creates a lot of stress in that area. So that's when you'd maybe be considering the likes of the the deep margin elevation with a, a material like Comsa, which might have a wee bit more flex in it as well, which is another benefit of that sort of technique mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. I think we've covered a lot of breadth. And, you know, I think we, you know, wherever you're listening and watching this, give Taylor a round of applause because it's, it's not easy to talk about this kind of, these kind of concepts. Uh, and I really, really, uh, I'm so happy to see what you're doing with how proactive you've been, how you've been open to the universe in terms of a learner and a sharer. I think good things happen to those who share. Please continue to share your journey. I love it. It's, it's wonderful, Taylor. So thanks for making time to share your learning with all the Pratishwarati. And I hope you guys gained a few lessons if anything it may have whet your appetite to learn some more which is a beautiful thing and maybe you disagree with some of the concepts that's okay as well like I always say guys it's okay disagree with your management of cracks which may be different in a biometric way it's completely cool as long as you have your own philosophy if you have a philosophy rather than winging it the whole time which it kind of sounded like I did with cracks I promise you I do have a bit more philosophy uh, to it (laughs) but yeah no thank you so much any any last words Taylor no just uh, thanks very much again Jazz and yeah I've I kind of reiterate again that I'm, I mean you've covered that enough but I'm very very early doors in my career I'm just kind of exploring all of these concepts not necessarily then taking all of it into work so if anyone's kind of listening thinking what is he doing at this stage to do all this sort of stuff then I feel like I'm doing it kind of safely and you know I think I'm being sensible about it and if, if anyone ever if anyone's getting any kind of questions or wants to ask anything about anything at all then feel free I'm more than happy to to talk to anyone if there's anything you think would help at all then feel free to get in touch reach out to Taylor guys at the hybrid layer again I always always encourage young dentists who are keen to learn who are proactive and who who go on courses like you have and you're doing things that ultimately is going to improve your dentistry improve your outcomes and you're on the journey right every master was once a disaster uh, right so we, we, we've got to be on our journey and uh, the reason I got you on is because you've spent time to think you've really you know read the books you've you've, you've been on some courses you're still early yeah, you still yeah. need to yeah, drill yeah, some yeah. more teeth you still need to remove some more cracks <laughs> yeah. but but I, I I feel as though your journey is valid and your learning and your sharing is valid so keep going don't think that oh you know I can't talk about this because I'm not experienced enough sharing is absolutely a good thing to do so keep it up my friend sounds great thanks very much Jazz. thanks very much thank you so much well, there we have it, guys. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. Hopefully now we're a little bit more clued up about biomimetic dentistry. Do check out Taylor's website. I'm going to put everything in the show notes for you. And if you've listened this far, you might as well claim CPD. Like it's just four or five questions away from getting a simple certificate that you can use for your end of year quota, but also to validate your learning. And it's a space for those of you who like to reflect and like to make notes. You can do that. Of course, speaking of notes, all those premium notes that you see on the side, 
or if you don't see, if you're listening, you can download them as a PDF. So every episode within about 48 hours, we publish on the app. That's a protrusive app on Android or iOS. Do download it. Do get stuck in. Join the community uh, and gain CPD. But also watch the exclusive monthly content. That protrusive dental pearl at the beginning of masking a post, that was actually taken from December's premium content of actually showing you how I fit three Emacs crowns and an Emacs veneer under rubber dam, a full clinical walkthrough, as you've seen perhaps on some videos on YouTube. So if you like that kind of stuff, do check out the Protrusive app just for you, the Protruserati. Thank you so much, and I'll catch you next week.